And we're going to speak on the echo of the love of Christ. This is part two. Now, we're not going to read all the scriptures for we read quite a bit last week uh, to open, but we will be reading uh, quite a bit this morning. So let's go, first of all, to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and we're just going to lift out a verse at a time, if we may. And let your eye run down, please, to verse 23. John 13, verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Notice, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So John speaks of himself in the third person. He speaks of himself in the third person as the disciple whom Jesus loved. One of the disciples. So when John's saying that he's the disciple whom Jesus loved, he isn't just saying, I'm the only disciple Jesus loved. But John knew the love of Jesus for himself, toward himself. And that was a strength for John. That was a great encouragement for John. And if we can get to there through our trials and troubles and testings and tribulations, that Jesus loves us, then if we can get to there, and realize that even when you don't feel saved, I was speaking to someone just this week and they were saying, I went to see them and they were saying, I just don't feel saved. I says, well, you're not meant to feel saved. You're saved by grace through faith. You believe you're saved and it's not on your feelings, but it's on your faith. It's nice to feel good. It's nice to feel the Lord with you, to sense him as it were uh, close to you, but we're not saved on our feelings. We're saved by faith in Christ alone. So whenever we talk about the disciple whom Jesus loved, John is saying here, there's other disciples. So let's read it again. There was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now will you go with me to chapter 19? John chapter 19, please. And let your eye run down just to one verse. Verse twenty. Six. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Notice, so he's at the cross. At the first time he's at the, if you want, the institution of the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread in the upper room. Now he's at the cross. And there he is with uh, Mary, we looked at them in more in detail last week. We'll mention them again this morning. But notice what he says here. It says that Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved. So notice here, he's in a group of people, yet he knows that even though Jesus loved his mother Mary, he still loved John. You see, Jesus, because I know Jesus loves me, that's not arrogance. That's faith believing that he loves me. Not because of me, but in spite of who I am. Jesus doesn't love me because I'm extra specially good. He loves me because he chose to. Because his father gave me to him in eternity. And so he loves me. And I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be going on with him. And notice here, so even though he had the love for his mother at the cross, 
he still, John knew Jesus still loved him. So because someone says, I know Jesus loves me, don't take it as presumption or arrogance. Take it that it's settled in the word of God. And you find the scripture because the scripture says he loves you too. So Jesus can love you as well as me. And me as well as you. Then if you'll go to John chapter 20, please. And just let your eye run down again to verse 2. Verse 2. Then she, that's Mary Magdalene, then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre and we know not where they have led him. Notice John writing in the third person of himself again. He calls himself the other disciple whom Jesus loved. So here he's saying, look, he just doesn't love me. He loved Peter too. He's speaking about big Peter, the fisherman as he's known. Impetuous Peter. Peter who was all guns blazing one minute, then retracting the next. Peter who varied at times in his, in a, in his fear and his faith. That same Peter, Jesus still loved him. Yes, he did. John says, he loved Peter, but I know he loves me. There's people that we look at others and say, how could the Lord love him or her? That's not for us to know. That's not for us to know. That's for them to find out the love of Christ in their own life. Notice then if we go to our next reading, and we go to chapter 21, please, and verse 7. So we have John is leaning in chapter 13 on Jesus in the upper room. He's standing, we looked at it last week, at the foot of the cross with his mother, uh, John, uh, John's mother Salome is there and the other Marys. And of course he is standing at the cross. Then in chapter 20, he's, we see him, he's uh, waiting and then he runs to the tomb. We'll look at it in a moment. He runs to the tomb. And in this one, chapter 21 and verse 7, he's listening, he's listening for the voice that calls at the shore. He's now at the shore and he call, hears the voice calling. And as he hears the voice calling, it brings revelation. You see, whenever you listen for the word of God, when you listen for the voice of God, God will bring revelation to your heart. If you don't read the word of God, you won't know him and you won't have revelation in your spirit. If you don't read it. And so we look at verse 7. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved. Here he is in a boat on the sea knowing Jesus still loves him. Saith unto Peter it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He girded his fishers coat unto him. For he was naked and it did cast himself into the sea. So here John is still saying Jesus loves me even though he hasn't turned up for a few days at the seashore, he still loves me. Sometimes when we feel the Lord hasn't turned up, we have to grasp hold that it's not about our time, but in God's timing. And he comes at the right time. He's never too early. He's never too late. He's always on time. And right in the boat, out on the sea, doesn't matter where you are, the Lord still loves his own. Look at verse 7 of chapter 20, pardon me, verse 20 of... Chapter 21, verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, saith the disciple whom Jesus loved, following. 
which also leaned on his breast at supper. That's us going back to John 13. John leaning on his breast. And said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? So here he's saying, the one who said, Peter said, ask the Lord who's going to betray him when they were in the upper room. The one who said that to John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is now looking at John following Peter and Jesus. Peter's looking at him and wants to know, what about him? What about him? Well, what about him? What about her? We're so interested in everybody else. What about them? So we have then leaning, standing, if we can call it running, listening, following. So you can see how he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved in every place of it. Turn again to John 20. We're going to read the first nine verses, please, and base most of our message around just this. We will look at one or two other places if we have time. John 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulchre, and saith the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have led him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. And they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went not in. Then Simon, then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and saith the linen clothes lie. And the napkin was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed, for, it was, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Let's read verse 10. Then the disciples went away again onto their own home. Let's pray. Father, will you settle us in your presence? Lord, there's people coming here this morning with all sorts of needs. There are those who are watching live. There are those who will watch later. Those who will listen, whether it's online or CD or whatever way, Lord, they do. We pray that you would bless them and instruct them and help them, encourage them. Lord, we believe that there's power in your word to change lives. And we ask you, Father, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would speak clear into each and every one of our lives, including this man. Convict us, Lord. Convince us. Lord, whatever you deem necessary and fit to do, would you do it? For, Lord, we know you would do it for our benefit, and you'll do it for our betterment. But, Lord, may it be for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In John 20 and are reading there verses 1 to 10. Mary Magdalene in verse 1 goes to the sepulchre early and she sees that the Lord's body is not there. The stone has been removed. And in verse 2 it says, She cometh, runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now if you remember from last week, I took a quotation for the title 
of uh, the message that I had brought. And it was Puritan Thomas Manton said on the scripture of 1 John 4.19. Puritan Thomas Manton says, We love him because he first loved us. Love is like an echo. It returneth what it receiveth. Love is like an echo. It returneth what it receiveth. So if we have received the love of Christ, now I'm not talking about just some wishy-washy, airy, furry sort of experience that we have had one time, a fuzzy, fluffy feeling in a meeting. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the real love of Jesus. I'm talking about Calvary. I'm talking about what he's done for us. It's a love that changes a man and it's a love that changes a woman. It's a love that changes a heart. And that love received will also give back out again unto Christ. You see, whenever a man and a woman are truly saved, they cannot help themselves but love Jesus in return. I want to say it again, brother. I want to say it again, sister, because there's many who have professed Christ and there's nothing from them. There's nothing in them. There's no fruit. And a man and a woman truly know and have experienced the, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that which they have received will change them and they will love Jesus in return. Love him above all others. Love him above all else. And love him above all things. We all struggle with it, don't we? We all struggle with it. But when we realize his great love for us, not only the encouragement of it, not only the blessings of it, but when we realize his great love for us, then we in return will love him with all of our hearts and give to him first. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 1, he said, uh, he listed all the lovely things and the good works they were doing. Now listen to what he says, nevertheless, in spite of all your good works, in spite of all the good doing, in spite of all the alms and the giving, he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. But Lord, we're doing all this because I hast left thy first love. Am I speaking to someone this morning, you've left your first love? Brothers and sisters, if you've been saved, you know what that first love is. You know what I mean by that. You know what Jesus means by that. By that. In fact, one old preacher said it means you have stopped loving me the way you did at the beginning. You've stopped loving me the way you did at the start. Do you know whenever you were saved and you were glad you were saved? Do you know whenever you knew you were saved? You were saved from whatever and that lightness in your spirit, the joy of your salvation, knowing that because you have been saved, you've just loved Christ, you fell in love with the Lord Jesus and nothing was too big for you to do for him. You cross mountain high and valley low. You'd give your life for his cause and you'd live a death for him. But now things have crept in. Now things have held you back. 
And the things you would never allow in your life, you now allow. And the things you would never have done, now you do. And the place where Christ had is now diminished to another place where Christ shouldn't be. We're all guilty, aren't we? Sometimes when we're guilty, we realize and we get ourselves back there. Other times when we're guilty, we allow ourselves to stay there. You see, the war of the flesh is this, because the flesh tells you this is what you should be doing. The flesh tells us, don't believe, don't follow, don't trust, don't go on with God. The flesh tells us you're better without it. And even the doubts come. And so because we don't, we lose our love for him and we leave our first love. And what happens? We end up carnal. We end up dry. We end up feeling, sensing, thinking wrong. It's went quiet. How the church has fallen. That he has not got first place in our lives. He won't have first place in your life when he calls us to prayer and we know it and you prefer to watch your soap opera on TV. And you could be on your knees in the place of prayer. Or you prefer to be doing something else rather than be in a place with him. Or maybe you prefer to work on the Lord's day to earn extra time and a half or whatever it may be rather than be in the house of the Lord. Notice this. Mary Magdalene, whom Jesus cast out seven devils. I asked you, I think it was last week, have you ever seen anyone possessed with a devil? Something to behold, you know. I pastored in Dublin and there were Filipino church around the corner. And they they, uh, worshipped in an old... A school in Dublin and they had a just the typical old school gymnasium wooden floors with a big high stage and all that sort of stuff and the band was on the stage and they came and asked me could you come to our church and preach to us and I said certainly and they had their their service not and we had ours in the morning then they had theirs in the afternoon and we went around I went around on the afternoon to preach and when I got there there was an Irish woman with other Irish women and a couple of Filipinos holding this woman who was tormented. So I preached on and nothing was happening. This woman was shaking violently and pulling them and they were holding on every, every area of her. I come right down onto the floor. Sorry, camera people, I'm going down onto the floor. <laughs> I give them a headache. When I come right down onto the floor, she's just sitting about here. Started praying for the sick. I preached about Jesus. Just talked about Christ. And this voice came out of this woman. Very slim woman. Aye, but can you help me? Very dark. 
I couldn't even do it. Demonic. And I looked, and I'll be honest, I thought, Lord, how do I deal with this one? Snarling at me. About four or five people holding her. And I went over, I says, no, I can't. But the one I've been speaking about can. And she went mad. Pulled them up, and they're all standing up at this time, holding on to this woman. She was small and thin, but the strength. I go over, and I put my head right beside her head, and I said, do you know Jesus? She was going mad, and suddenly I see the woman. Help me. Help me, she said. Take her by her hands, like this and like that. I started to praise the Lord Jesus. And in Jesus' name, I lifted up her hands, and my eyes were even shut. And the demon left the woman in the name of Jesus. The woman had tears flowing down her face. The doctors had plied her with tablets to try and take away. They were putting it down to a medical condition. Now listen. This woman stood with hands in the air raised while the band played. And I'll be honest, the Filipinos done literal cartwheelings up the aisle. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Literal Whooping and hollering. You know why? They were delighted a soul had been set free from the clutches of hell. You know what our problem is, brothers and sisters? We talk about it. Oh, isn't it great that a soul has been saved? Well done. Isn't it fantastic? Listen, that's a soul that's been saved from hell. We need to get that joy and expectation again that God is going to do things. We, we need to get the joy that someone has been rescued from the clutches of an eternal burning. We have lost that. It's lovely. Oh, somebody was saved. Isn't that lovely? It's not lovely. It's glorious. Come on, church. It's glorious. Here's something for you, church. The band, uh, the Filipinos, they, they praised on. I sat for over an hour and a half and they were still in worship. The woman hadn't opened her eyes and was still like this, totally straight. They were holding her the whole time, shaking, violently, head, everything. Totally straight. The demon had left her. And when I left, I had to go on to another meeting. (laughs) And when I seen them later on, the woman came round to our church perfectly whole, saved and in her right, clothed and in her right mind like the man of Gadara. They worshipped on for another two hours. Here we've been standing for 15 to 20 minutes. We must have watched ourselves here. It's not what the church is like, isn't it? Not in here, but that's what the church may be like. Mary Magdalene had been delivered from seven devils. Seven of them. I dare to think what Legion was like. But here's what it tells me, brothers and sisters, that no matter what is against you, no matter what the old devil tries, the enemy tries, no matter what the spiritual forces try and comes against you, you know, Jesus is greater than Satan and sin, and Satan to Jesus must buy. That's what it tells me this morning. And it doesn't matter where it's one or seven or a legion. 
Jesus is still on the throne. He's still in charge. This woman, Mary Magdalene, comes running from an empty tomb. And it says in verse 2, She runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have led him. And, and this love of hers has her early in the morning at the tomb. This love, this echo of the love of Christ has brought her there. And now because of it, the, the, the echoing love of Christ, she's in mourning as it were because he, he's no longer there. And notice, it isn't even resurrection she's thinking of. It's theft. They've taken away the Lord. You see, the love of Christ isn't a blind love, by the way. It's an experienced love. It's an intelligent love. She comes running, as it were, blind to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And notice, this is what I wrote down just in the flyleaf of my writing just yesterday afternoon when I had a couple of things in my head. I just simply wrote, Mary ran first. Mary ran fast, but we're told that she comes to Simon Peter. This is what I've written. Go to someone who loves Jesus Someone of like-mindedness. See, when you have a disappointment in your life, don't go telling the world. Do you see when you have a a great letdown from someone in life or something has come against you, don't go running to the world. Mary didn't run to Pontius Pilate and try and get into Pontius Pilate's palace, nor the high priests of of Judea. She didn't run to them. She ran to those of like mind. Because they would love Jesus too. And the thing is, we go to this one and we go to that one, we go to the other one because of our disillusionments and because of our disappointments and we speak about it and we talk about it and all it does is discourages the world. From we're here to encourage the world. To tell them of the love of Christ. She comes running to these disciples. So go to someone who loves the Lord Jesus. Even in church, you know, you get those who come to church and they don't love the Lord Jesus. There's people in church and they don't know the Lord Jesus. You keep your eye open for someone who loves him. Because that's the heart who will help. That's the heart that will reach out. Listen, Mary had sinned much. And Mary was forgiven much. And even as the Lord said, they that have loved much will forgive, being forgiven much will also love much. I was speaking to someone just yesterday about someone else. (laughs) Um, And they were telling me this thing. You know, someone once said that, oh, if I haven't got a great testimony of with the alcohol and the drugs and all that sort of stuff, and I've been saved from a little boy or a little girl or whatever it is, you know, I haven't got a testimony. Now, that's wrong. Your testimony is glorious because Christ has saved you from a young age and kept you from these things. It's a glorious testimony. It's a beautiful testimony. It's a wonderful testimony. And you'll be able to say the things you've come through your life where Jesus has loved you the whole way through and kept you. 
Don't ever think because you hear of someone with a, a flowery testimony uh, and a, uh, something that, that seems a, a big testimony as people think that that's the good testimonies. No, it's not their testimony anyway. It's the testimony of the love of Christ. And yours can be the same. You may be saved from a young boy or a young girl. You've got a wonderful testimony to tell people. Christ saved me at a young age. And even through the trials or temptations and the troubles that I've come through, standing in the shadows somewhere you'll find Jesus. He was always there for me. Notice, Mary comes running. And she comes to the disciple whom Jesus loved. She knew Jesus loved these people and they loved Jesus. There's no preacher, um, he was actually known as the beloved heretic. He's called William Barclay. And some of his, some of his uh, writings on devotionally are beautiful. There's things I don't agree with William Barclay on, but listen to this. On Mary coming running from the tomb, William Barclay says, Mary is a supreme instance of one who went on loving and believing even when she could not understand. And that is the love and the belief which in the end finds glory. I want you to catch this. I thought that was beautiful. I'm going to read it one more time. Mary is the supreme instance of one who went on loving and believing even when she could not understand. And that is the love and the belief which in the end finds glory. William Barclay, what are you saying? That Mary, even though she couldn't understand, have taken away my Lord. Her love for him overtook, overcame that which she couldn't understand. And there's things you're not going to be able to understand in your walk with Christ. There's things you're not going to be able to understand why they happen. You're not going to be able to understand them all, why things should have happened the way you thought and they didn't happen, but let your love for Christ overcome those things and just keep on going on with him. And it's that love that in the end finds glory. How did Mary find glory? She's standing at the tomb and the gardener comes, as she supposed. And when she heard him saying, she, uh, what, what aileth thee, woman? What is wrong with you, woman? She says, they have taken away my Lord. Tears streaming from her. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have led him. And was he said, Mary. <laughs> Whenever tone of his voice that he said, Mary, and those blinded eyes with her tears, recognize the Christ. Rabboni, she says. Master. It's you. Mary found her glory. He was right in front of her. Even though she couldn't understand what had happened, she couldn't see what was happening. She was blinded by her grief. Her love carried her through and that love echoed and recognized the voice of Christ. And she found her glory. What's your glory this morning? What do you glory in? Well, I glory in how well I've accomplished things in work or in life. And and listen, do well. By all means, please do well. Don't glory in it. Glory in him. Remember this, every good gift, every perfect gift, is from above, 
cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The echo of love sounded within the heart of John when he heard this. John 20, verses 6 and 7. They run to the tomb, but let's look at 6. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, saith the linen clothes lie, and the napkin was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. John and Peter start running from the tomb, for the tomb. And John is younger than Peter, so probably he may be lighter. I don't know. Uh, Peter tends to get the idea that he was a bigger man. I don't know. We tend to say big Peter for some reason. But for some reason, he was a bit older than John. The two of them are running, sprinting toward the tomb to see what has happened. And whether John is just faster or Peter starts getting a bit like myself, a bit out of puff, I don't know. John gets to the tomb first, but stops at the door and looks in. Peter comes flying right by and he just goes right into the tomb. Doesn't stop. When I thought of this, I I thought how he seen the linen clothes lying and the napkin, it says, was separate. You know, it was in in tradition that when you sat at meat and the servants, you were sitting eating at the table and the servants sat or stood around and they'd have stood aloof and they'd have waited back. And when the master was eating... His, his meal, when he had finished his meal, he lifts his napkin and he wipes his hands and his mouth and just scrolled up. He had to put it on the table and walked away, meaning I am finished. I'm not coming back. But if he was leaving the table to go somewhere to come back, he wasn't finished yet. Work was still to be done. He folded the napkin and he set it there and the servants knew the master's coming back. He hasn't left us yet. So when they go in and see the napkin, Jesus was leaving the message. Listen, it's not scrolled up and I've done a runner here and I'm out of here and I'm away from you. As he says, it's folded up. Listen, boys, I'm not left yet. I'm coming back. I'll see you. I'll see you again. Sometimes we just think of the ruffled up, folded, rather than the folded napkin. Sometimes we think, well, Jesus has left me. Listen, He says, I never leave you nor forsake you. Give us his spirit to live with us. Know what he said? Here's your folded napkin. The Holy Ghost is your folded napkin. I'm coming back again. I'm coming back again. Peter and John running to the tomb made me think of 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24. When Paul writes, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. In other words, the two of them are running. There's a prize ahead. What was the prize? Christ. Christ is a prize. Why do you run this race, Ken? For Christ. Why should I run this race, Ken? For Christ. What is the goal at the end of this race, Ken? Christ and Christ alone. We're running it for something else or anything else. Just forget it. I better try and get their clothes here. You see, Peter had denied the Lord. He runs straight into the tomb. Three times he denies the Lord and he goes out and weeps bitterly, we're told. John had run in Gethsemane, but yet stood at the cross. 
Now get this picture. The old Ron Peter follows afar off from Gethsemane as they take the Lord away to try him under Pontius Pilate. All the disciples run. Judas Iscariot had betrayed him. Peter denies him. Now get this message here. The next we read is when, after the whole trial, he's at the cross, and the only disciple we, we read of is John, uh, of the meals is John. John's back at the cross. And you see, sometimes you've run off. You know where you come back to? Don't go back to an empty tomb. Go right back to the cross. Go back to the cross. Go back to the cross. Peter hadn't went back to the cross as far as we know. John had went back to the cross. So now when he's looking for the coming of the Lord and he's now out at, at the tomb, he doesn't run straight in. Peter hadn't been to the cross in desperation. He runs right in looking for the Christ. The one he betrayed, or denied, pardon me. Let me just finish this. I'll just do a couple of pointers on this in chapter 21. They're on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus doesn't show up. They're there three days and Peter says, I go fishing. They go back to what they thought they knew best and that night they caught nothing. Stranger comes along the shore. And in John chapter 21, and just let your eye run down. Verse 7. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loves saith unto Peter is the Lord. Here John says, I know he loves me. And here he is, comes on the shore. Stranger on the shore says, children, have you any meat? Uh, and they say, we've caught nothing all night. You know the story that happened there. And, uh, and it's at this point, it says, when the morning was come, when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore. Notice that. When the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore. These men had worked and labored all night and caught nothing. They had been uh, disillusioned, as it were, in their own hearts because Jesus hadn't turned up at Galilee. It was when the morning was come, in verse 4, but when the morning was come, notice, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Makes me think of Psalm 30 and verse 5. The end of the verse says, Weeping may endure for a night. Can anybody finish it for me? So weeping may endure for a night, but... That's set, set loud. It's for you. Weeping may endure for a night, but... Joy cometh in the morning. And then, here's the weeping. And all of this time, for three days, he hasn't shown up. They haven't caught a thing. And now... What are we going to do? We're not even good at what we used to do. Children of Yanni meet, stranger on the shore. It was Jesus in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. And you may be through your night season. And you may be through a dry season. A disillusioned and a disappointed season. But brothers and sisters, listen at the right time. Not in your time, but in his time which is the right time, joy comes in the morning, brothers and sisters. Joy comes in the morning. So we close with verse 7. The Lord says, hi, Peter's going to die. Follow me and others are going to take you. 
the way you would want to go and they're going to, he's speaking about Peter's demise later at how he would die. And he looks and the disciple whom Jesus loved is still following. And I'm just paraphrasing because we're closed now. Lord, what about him? You know what the Lord says? What is that to thee? What about him? Well, I'm going to die like this. What about him? The Lord says. I'm just paraphrasing it. Mind your own business. You do what I tell you to do. I'll deal with him. I'll deal with him. Lord, what about her? What about him? You just follow me. Keep your eyes on me, he says. I'll deal with them. Peter would die in an instant, as it were, on a cross. That means in a, in a quick time, I mean. But yet John would die in instances trying to boil him in oil and on the Isle of Patmos. What about him? I have a plan for John. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. And if you think you're not going to go through things because Jesus loved you, brothers and sisters, that's the false gospel that's running around everywhere. That you're going to have such a perfect life. Your best life now, notice, your best life is when Jesus comes back again. That's what the best life is. May God bless his word to all of us this morning. Time is way on. We appreciate you all.